so he has like a, the title of the video is um, random guy yells at me, then helps out. <laughs> and it's totally a stage because this guy comes over and he's like, what are you doing, man? You've been mowing the lawn for like an hour. He's like, I'm trying to do this. He's like, I got a baby sleeping. And he's like, well, if you want it over faster, grab some equipment and help me. And then it shows him working for like the rest of the half of a day, helping him clean up the yard. It's clearly not correct. Mm-hmm. But it reminds me of when we were on HGTV, part of the producer's request was we need some drama for this episode. So can you please act like you already installed this fireplace? Can you take the mantle off, pretend like it's not been installed ever and argue about what kind of mantle you should have <laughs> for like two or three minutes, just so we have some footage of drama occurring in yeah. this segment. How do we feel about like fake drama hmm. as a way to create a more compelling story? Interesting. I, I would argue well, we don't have to get very fake in our industry. There's that's what I was. That's what I was gonna say. I think you can be selective and think to what a problem would be that we successfully can solve for somebody or have solved for somebody and highlight that. So I don't think you have to totally fake it. Um, but I think you can be strategic. I think, yes, I think we gloss over things and people aren't stupid. They know that building a home is difficult and they've heard the horror stories. And so sometimes if we pretend like it's going to be a seamless, perfect process, like they see through that. So sometimes yeah. it doesn't hurt to just, you know, be right up front. There are problems, but you can trust us to work through them. Kind of. Thing. I always, whenever I throw something out like that, I try to come back with some guiding rails to keep you from, from veering off the cliff <laughs> and blaming and us. I think it's nice. okay to add, and this is maybe, maybe again, disagree with me if you want to, um, just write in at show, do you convert or email me or DM me on the socials? I think it's okay to add negativity for drama because again, that's what I'm saying. Like in the particular instance, let's say you were going to document one person's experience. I could totally see, you know, you just get lucky and that experience goes perfectly and you're like, uh, we better have something kind of go wrong here that we can say, this is how we address issues. I think that's more okay than saying, uh, Hey, you know what? Let's pretend like we just found out you're having your third kid and we'll like customize an extra closet as like a nursery ensuite thing. Cause that's setting an expectation that you're not going to be able to deliver unless that's your culture of you just do small things whenever you can to improve the life of your customer. But it, to do that just for the drama or the virality of it would be a negative, I think, for most people because it's not what you do every day. Whereas vendors don't show up on time or for days on end, that's going to happen. Yeah. I think it's a fun question to ask people who've built, like, what would you have done differently if you built again? Because there's always something you would do differently and people can learn from that. You know, like if somebody's going through the design center and everybody says, I wish I had have done the thicker granite or whatever it is, or I wish I hadn't have paid so much for this. We'll end with this because you uh, started a podcast at Ideal before you uh, left there with your, with your boss. And I remember my favorite episode by far, because you have each built, I think, multiple Ideal homes over the years was like, what would like overrated or underrated or what I would do or wouldn't do. I don't remember the exact Mm -hmm. context of the episode, but I'm not an Ideal homeowner. But there were things that transcend, like jetted tubs overrated, mm-hmm. you know, yep. that was compelling to me, even though I wasn't shopping for a house in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. Don't always be so afraid to play everything 
super safe. Be strategic about it. Yeah. <laughs> but don't be afraid to show, you know, those different sides of it. Have a purpose. All right. Welcome to Marketproof Marketing, the podcast from the industry leaders at Do You Convert, where we talk about the current and future state of marketing and online sales for builders and developers across the globe. We're not here to sell you. We're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you'd like us to answer? We'll do it. Simply send an email to show at doyouconvert.com. Welcome to episode 281. I'm Kevin Oakley and with me today is Beth Russell and Julie Jarnigan. Hello. All right. Long episode today. I have a feeling we got a lot to talk about. Let's jump right in to the story time. Should we just have a, um, we're too meta these days. We need, we need new music. We need new everything. We should just start oh, all over. Let's start from episode, episode okay. one. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got, Julie? Uh, well, you had told us about an online course. Um, Simon Sinek, I hope I'm saying his name right, um, did on presenting and speaking. And there was one thing specifically that stood out to me. And that was, he was talking about the power of telling the story of one person as opposed to telling stories of a group of people, you know, um, or like a society or community, but talking about one person and how it impacted them and how that's so much more powerful. And so I was thinking about, um, do we do this as marketers in building? You know, we have a few things. We do testimonies and that's testimonials, not testimonies, testimonials. <laughs> I we would like to do, testify. We might do testimonies too. Uh, we do testimonials. Um, a few people do some of this. There's some influencer marking. That's like the story of one person. I know Fisher did some of that. I think mm -hmm. Abrazo Homes has done um, a good job as, of doing that with their employees, like featuring yep. one employee. But I would be interested to see um, builders like kind of dive into that and try doing more um, telling the story of one person and how you would do that. And not necessarily from like a testimonial point of view where you're just interviewing somebody and letting them tell their story, but how you can kind of shape that. Um, so anyway, it was an interesting idea to me because there is a lot of power in telling, you know, we've sold this many homes and this many families and, um, you know, to give people a sense of security that other people are buying right now and those things, there's power in that too, but we don't think as much about the one individual story. Yeah. And that's what the individual story is where drama is. And we talk about this a lot that builders are generally scared of mm -hmm. any hint of drama, but that's what makes a compelling story is that there's something to be overcome or fix. And, you know, we've talked about this as well, that a lot of people just kind of check the box on telling those individual stories of like, I've got 10 testimonials. How much more do I need? Like, is anyone going to really watch all of them? Maybe not, but sh shouldn't we be doing and focusing more of our energy on creating that content if it is so powerful? And I, I don't know. I think we should what I'm looking at on most builder websites. Yeah. And I think builders need to allow room for that to happen because it does take a lot of time. It does take a lot of energy. It takes a lot of resources from um, getting the right people to do it, from building the questions, script, getting the, the right location to film them in. Like there's so many layers that a lot of people don't recognize when it comes to creating that content that um, builders at all top to bottom need to provide the room and make it a priority. 
Yeah, it's not easy, but that also means that it's going to help you stand out because your competitors aren't going to be able to replicate it. Yeah. And also, I don't, I mean, part of one of the reasons that it's not easy is because you have to get the willing participant who's going to be good at communicating. Mm -hmm. But I have seen uh, from a small builder here in Columbus called Bellpoint, they've done a good job of utilizing their staff and, and mm -hmm. showing really great B-roll of the home, either under construction and talking about why. So there's, mm. you know, there's the individual story struggle of, of what you overcame, but it's still interesting to hear the individual story, which again, Fisher has done in the past of why does this home floor plan exist? What problem mm -hmm. is it trying to solve versus we have all these different floor plans for everyone. Let's mm -hmm. talk about them one at a time. If you're a custom builder or a semi-custom builder, explaining on the other person's behalf without using them actually on camera is still a good strategy. I mean, that's that's what most of HGTV is. It's you know, they do just enough of the couple awkwardly standing and or fighting with each other, but well, most of the shows are about the experts continuing that individual story on their behalf. Yeah. Absolutely, you can help them tell that story. You don't have to just rely on them and full out testimonial style. So it's true. Yep. Yeah. And oftentimes too, it only takes one good story. You know, yeah. like start there, start with one good story. Mm -hmm. Better than nothing. All right, Beth, what do you got? Um. Well, little update. If people heard <laughs> my last time on the podcast for building. Well, yeah, house. Give a quick background of what's going on. Um, my husband's in the military. We move a lot. We buy a lot of houses. This will be our third in eight year in eight years because we're crazy. Um, this one we are building from the ground up. We didn't choose the floor plan or a lot, but we got in early enough where I am um we'll say blessed with the ability to choose everything from top to bottom. So it's been quite stressful, but also fun because I'm getting people involved where, you know, my husband jokes, like if when I'm, I'm mulling over a decision, whether it's the white paint debacle or whatever, he's like, well, go ask your experts because I'll put a little poll on Instagram and everyone will vote on it. And like, I'll get a bunch of DMS and like, usually it's, you know, friends within the industry flooding me with their advice and their expertise, um, which is actually incredibly helpful. Um, you would think it would be overwhelming, but it's actually not. It's, it's really enjoyable and fun. It's my favorite part of it, which is why I continue to do it. Um, but we got a phone call last week that it was like, hey, why don't you have all of your selections in? And I was like, uh, I was waiting for to know like when frame stage was going to be done so that I could, you know, get the measurements to decide everything. Oh, no, no, we need it now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. That's yeah. I'm the most okay. important thing, <laughs> the most important thing that you experience every time you go through this process as a customer mm -hmm. is developing empathy again. I, I'm, I swear it's like calluses on your fingertips playing guitar or whatever analogy you want to go to. Mm -hmm. If you sense your, yourself or your team or your company at all talking about how crazy your customers are, it means you're, you're, you're lacking empathy and understanding. Yep. You're like, you're too far disconnected from them and you need to find a way to connect with them again. I just had this conversation with a young marketer about like a term 
what a word meant to people and the higher management thought it meant one thing, but her view was that the customer was associating it with something else. And I'm like, well, find a way to tap into that, you know, survey them, find it out what it is that this means to them, because it might not be what you think it is. Yeah. Right. Well, that, the, the lack of empathy comes because you're in, you're in, you're in a boardroom or an office too much looking at numbers and you're mm -hmm. over indexing on what you think happens most of the time. And, mm -hmm. and then you get out into the real world. And if you've been in marketing, you've tried to do any kind of change or improvement, you learn this real quick where you create this perfect scenario. Then you go out and inspect what should be happening and nothing like that is happening. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I think it's just good. In this case, this builder is probably thinking to themselves, I don't understand why does no one have their selections ready to go? And you've done this a few times. You've been in the industry. You're like, mm -hmm. no one told me clearly what needs to happen and when. Mm -hmm. And and made yeah. sure that the subs that I'm supposed to be interacting with to make these micro decisions are even being responsible or making themselves available. Or the right subs, because apparently one of my vendors completely changed. And so I need yeah. to now initiate a whole new conversation with the new that, vendor. That was so. one, one of my, and this is your story, not mine, but I, one of, one of my wife's biggest frustrations was she's like a get it done person. And so our builder mm -hmm. said, you know, well, you have this period of time until your house starts because we're going to let you give you time to make all your selections. She wanted to make sure we were in and had grass growing so that the dog wouldn't bring in mud. That was like her biggest, it's irrational on the type of build we're doing that that's the most important thing to her, but it was. And so they, I think it was like 90 days to make all the selections. Well, she, was like, no, I'm, I think she got it done in like two and a half weeks. But then, I need the, house to hire still her. Sat. But then the house still sat, like the construction didn't begin because and in fact, it ended up going 30, 30 to 60 days beyond the time frame they said. And she's like, well, then no one communicated that one, it could go longer at all just because, mm -hmm. and two, that yeah. there wasn't a reason for me to put all that energy and stress into getting it done quickly. Cause I thought I was getting myself more time to make sure I'd move in. Yeah. Yep. And by the way, yes, every step of the way, I was whispering in her ear, honey, it's not happening the way they're saying it's going to happen. Like I was even trying to set expectations of like, no, we're moving in five months later than they say, like if we're lucky. So, I'm with Melanie in the, the denial phase of like, this is going to happen when I need it to happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I saw Sean Van Dyke, uh, who again, you should follow him on Instagram. It's, it's good times. But he's uh, building his house himself because his first builder did such a good job or poor job. He had to sue them. Big, long story. You can go ask him about it. But oh, no. he and his wife are project managing a lot of it, it, it appears. And she's in the background of the video and he goes, yeah, the concrete was supposed to come today. They called and canceled. And they said, they're going to be here tomorrow, which means what, honey? And she's like, sometime in the next two weeks. He's like, exactly. <laughs> tomorrow means sometime in the next two weeks. Right? Which is, we haven't reset that. Mm -hmm. So you have to make all these selections or go, go back to what, what you're. Um, I just have to is. make decisions, which I can do. But sometimes when you're inundated with too many options, it makes the decisions that much harder. Um, and one of the things that I've been talking a lot about is like the, what white paint do I choose? And so much, and people who know 
or have chosen white paint know how much of a factor lighting is. And I don't know what the lighting is like here. I don't live there. I haven't walked the house yet. I don't. So I'm just like flying off the, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I'm just going to, I have to just make the decision and be okay with it. I think we and, could do a, our own webinar on making good lighting decisions. Cause that's, I remember when I first moved in, I was like, what's your favorite part of your house? I'm like, it's the lighting. It is the mm. fact that there is, you know, kind of like restaurant style lighting or hotel style lighting that changes automatically based upon the lighting outside right when evening comes there's you know it just it there's a coziness that the right lighting brings or a feeling of home that i you know. sounds like a good builder blog post builder education <laughs> it should be i know <laughs> <laughs> and here i have been supposed to order new shutters because they went to painars and there were mushrooms growing out the top of them apparently for like a week and i have about five choices and i still haven't made a decision so I'm no oh. help to you. Do you, you know what help? I did with the shutters, I the Julie? I was like, take them off. <laughs> just take them off. Man, I, I just help. need two sets of shutters. That's all I need to do is order them. And I just can't bring myself to do it. So silly. I hear you. Um, Beth, it looked like there was a second thing you wanted to talk about. Yeah. About so data. an interesting thing happened this week, which was a good reminder for me and for, um, I think for everyone is the importance of owning your own data and, but not just owning it, but understanding it and knowing how to analyze it and how it can literally save your company thousands of dollars each year, just by doing that. So we have a builder that we're working with who were, they're severing ties with their other vendor that runs their SEO and they received their last- For those of you not, not watching the video, Beth just used her fingers to say SEO, <laughs> which is yeah. part of the story. Yes, it is an essential part of the story, I feel like. So she sent me like their last response in terms of their analytics that they provided on SEO. And I just found it to be quite interesting. And now I understand, I, it reminded me of what it's like to be that marketer that has things coming in all different directions and isn't sure mm -hmm. what to believe and isn't steady in their knowledge on certain subjects. So if you start anywhere, this is where you start. And it's because they were charging probably like, $2,000 to $2,500 a month for their SEO work that they were providing. And they sent in this last analytic report and they're like, look at all of this organic improvements that we've made, blah, blah, blah. And they've listed out all of these stats and all of these beautiful numbers. But if you looked at the data, which you have now that they own and they have access to, all of the numbers they were reporting were nothing correlated to organic search or the SEO work yeah. that they were providing. It was all with this marketer just in, in, um, implemented yeah. Yeah. in targeted search ads and it completely right. flipped everything on its head and they took credit for it. <laughs> and so I, I loved it because Beth sent it over to me and she was like, this is kind of interesting because this, this company is trying to take credit for all the stuff that the marketer just did now that she has control. And I think I used the, the sheep emoji to respond in Slack and then her answer was, but the next email was like her firing that vendor. She was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that, that's like karma, I guess. Marketing karma. I don't believe in karma, mm -hmm. but maybe there is such a thing as marketing karma. Well, this, you know, like how awesome is it that she just saved her company at, at minimum $24,000 over right. the course of the year? Like 
I twenty four thousand well, dollar raise. I think, like, I think that the, would be awesome. The take the main takeaway for people is when when people say the word SEO, you have to, you must clarify both with them and yourself. Mm -hmm. What are we talking about? Because most people who are talking about SEO, they just mean website activity and traffic broadly. Yep. They don't, they don't mean real SEO work. Yeah. And that's something that they never got was a defined scope of work um, from them. And then what they did was disguise the work that this marketer had done and implemented as SEM. And that's, they marked that on their report. Yep. There is a company out of Canada who they've changed their names like two or three times. So I don't even know what to call them anymore. Um, but they're still mm -hmm. around in the home building business. They, they do work with builders, but um, like four or five years ago, they were working with uh, a builder and their strategy was that they were the SEO company doing inbound marketing, uh, a la HubSpot, but, and they would write this blog content and then they would spend all of the builders ad dollars that they were, well, they were, let's say they charged $3,000 a month for this amazing SEO work. Oh gosh, they I know would, where this they, is going. They, they, they basically $500 was going to write a couple different articles. And then the rest of the money was running ads on social media, sending traffic to those articles and talking about, look at all the traffic these articles are generating for amazing. you. Cause yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah, it really is. Uh, my story time, my, my quick one is that I have a new favorite thing for analogies, which is recipes. Um, and Mike and I do a video every month uh, to all of our builders. We call the pulse update on the market. And we talked about one of the reasons why, why I think everyone's so excited about AI is because they're like the, the newscaster on your favorite morning show who's making mm -hmm. a recipe in air quotes with Emeril Lagasse. And Emeril's like, yeah, so put in some of this and put in some of that. And they're just dumping ingredients that are pre-measured, sifted, sorted, chopped into a bowl. Mm -hmm. And you feel like you're making something and, and, you, and you get this euphoric kind of reaction because look what I made. It's got, mm -hmm. you know, also known as the Ikea effect of, of people overvalue something that they put their own time into. That's why our kids show us pictures and they think it's awesome and they want you to think it's awesome because look, I, I did it. Um, and that's why some people just are fascinated and obsessed with using AI is there's a particular skill set. Uh, could, could be many different things where they're like, oh, this makes me feel like I am now a professional chef, but mm -hmm. I didn't do any of the selecting of which ingredients or measurements or any of it. I'm just letting this tool, let me dump in some stuff. And maybe I choose not to put in the nutmeg because I don't like nutmeg. And now I made my own personal version of an Emerald Lagasse recipe. And I think that's why there's some over-indexing. In fact, um, I was going to save it for my favorite, but, oh shoot, did I, did I lose it? No, I have it here from Twitter. Um, there's a gentleman named Chamath Palihapitiya. I've referenced it before. And he wrote this on Twitter. He said, you, you may want to take note of the fact that that the blind optimism around AI isn't coming from Silicon Valley this time. Instead, all of the cheerleading is coming from hedge funds and family offices who are investing in AI. And I would add an asterisk on that and companies selling AI services or the potential of how AI is going to revolutionize it. Basically what he's saying is, if you listen again to anything that uh, Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, uh, or people who really know what AI is capable of, 
they're like, mm -hmm. yeah, this is cool. But also this has been around for a long time. I don't, I'm not sure what everyone here is losing their mind about. Um, and so Silicon Valley is like, yeah, it's going to be cool, but it's not like earth changing right now. And everyone else is like, this is earth changing. And it's this, this weird kind of, uh, irrational excitement, but for a reason. And that's like long-term it's going to, it's going to change everything. Short-term mm -hmm. it's probably going to take longer than we think. In fact, I saw, um, and I posted on, on LinkedIn, there's a 2000 and I think it's 2004 article where oh. IBM said they were going to replace 7,000 workers with AI back in mm -hmm. 2004. Shocker, it never happened. But the CEO is quoted as we put in a hiring freeze. We're not going to hire anyone because we're going to replace all these workers with AI. Newsflash, IBM no longer leads in any category of anything as an organization. So I just think, um, back to cooking is my, my new favorite analogy. The, the other half of that is, I was thinking that you could give 10 houses in a row in the same street in the same neighborhood, bread, mm -hmm. peanut butter, the same kind of peanut butter and jelly and say, make, make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And out of those homes would come 10 different peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Even if all the ingredients are the same, the recipe is the same. The outcome will be different because each person is going to choose their own ratio of peanut butter and jelly, how the bread is sliced. Do we take the edges off to, you know, an untold number of variations that will make each of them look different, taste different, feel different. And one of those mm -hmm. will, will resonate with each of us more than another. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll get more context why I came up with this one. Um, when we get to the news, it does peanut butter and jelly sandwiches does relate to the news stories. Um, but sometimes people talk, talk to me and they're like, well, again, it's kind of that, like our company is different or, um, you know, it, if everyone does it the way that you're teaching us to do it, won't everyone come with the same output? And, and that just hit me like, no, it's impossible. It, it is absolutely impossible for the same uh, recipe in terms of marketing recipe and approach will not result in the same message out to the consumer. Locations are different. Company cultures are different. Product is different. Included features are different. Vendors are different. All those things are different. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's kind of like, we're really excited for, to use AI like ChatGPT that makes the homogenous middle result. But then we, we kind of bristle at the idea of approaching digital marketing in a particular way because we're different. I just, I, I think that's kind of ironic. Um, yeah. Coming out the, the math doesn't math there, you know, yeah. like it's just, it's just like, um, your kids, all of your kids are different. Same mom and dad. They yeah. all have their own little special things about them mm -hmm. and they look different. Yeah. It's just going to produce something different each time. I also think it's interesting, like all this, and we're kind of, we're going to get to this in yeah, the we'll news to too, but everybody's talking about all these new AI tools. We were already using a ton of AI tools that people just didn't realize were AI. Mm -hmm. What happened was that when ChatGPT came out and people started playing with it, it's like that helped them understand and the connections to be made of what AI is and more what it could do. And so now all these things are coming out. It's not like these things were not 
already being developed or talked about or used in different ways or Google. It's not like Google had never heard of AI until chat GPT came out and they were like, oh, we have to come up with some things. So right. what it did is it kind of introduced the masses to start understanding what it was and what it did. And so now it's big news, even though it's it's been there. Um, that mm -hmm. just kind of turned on the light for a lot of people, I feel yeah, like. In fact, PCBC 2017 or 18, I did a talk with Jeff Turner for an hour and a half just about AI and its impacts. And it was about generative AI back then and computer vision and all the things. And I just think it's funny again, um, like a, computer vision AI still has a difficult time this uh, delineating between um, cockapoos and fried chicken. Mm -hmm. I've seen that. That's funny. Yep. Like, yeah. So we're, yeah. It'll change everything, but it's still going to be a while till we get there. The other mm -hmm. uh, quick story time, because you can go and listen to it is I did a Twitter spaces. The recording is on my Twitter profile. Uh, it's about an hour long. I had a discussion with some people from the existing home industry who either run MLS uh, systems around the country or are vendors or um, partners with MLSs. And these people from the MLS world were just asking lots of questions like, why do builders do this? Why? And it was all spurred by an article in Inman that was talking about Ben Cabanero, I think is how you say his name, uh, who runs Homes USA, which is like a, a way for home builders to get their homes on the MLS, rent a broker. We used to affectionately call that, that service, pay a flat fee or no fee and a percentage of the sales price in order to get your homes on the MLS. And it was super interesting because their perspective was that the MLS is of course critical and how would realtors who have all the buyers in their words, why wouldn't builders want to make sure that everything was in front of them all the time using that service? And I was trying to explain to them that builders have gone or, and are trying to go even further direct to consumer where we just want to market directly to our customer sell directly to our customer um, because it's, we believe it's a better experience at a lower cost, all those things. And they were like, yeah, I mean, maybe. And one of the things I was explaining to them is, you know, Zillow and, and Redfin and realtor.com and new home source, they all um, like seven, eight years ago would say, we have our own niche audience of highly, like these are the people you want to reach. And the answer is absolutely, mm -hmm. yes, that's true. But now through Meta and Google, we have all the same tools to reach, like to say that uh, in, in Google's language, an in-market audience for someone who's shopping for a house, how do they know that they should be in that in-market audience? Because they went on Zillow. <laughs> like there, there's yeah. signals flying all around. And so I was like, there's that, that ability to target that audience. And on, on all of those sites, except for New Home Source and Livable, those homes are also on mm -hmm. the MLS. So whenever a builder runs an ad for a house that's not on the MLS and therefore not on front page of Zillow or not, you know, then they're like, wait, I thought, I thought if I went here, all the stuff was here. And now they're like, you just have to show a picture they've never seen before and say, this house is available for sale. And they're, they're going to be pulled off to your site. Anyway, you can go listen to the whole discussion. It was, it was a good time. Uh, lots of good ideas back and forth about how to make it easier for builders on the MLS and, um, but I just thought it was, it's, it's super interesting to hang out with people who are really smart and really well connected in real estate who are just like, mm -hmm. we don't, we don't know builders at all. I think it's ironic that we're having this conversation given our earlier conversation, because I feel like it also shows a bit of a disconnect from their buyers because their buyers are doing their own searches. 
they are trying to find their own homes and they are making contact without them. And so, and I think they know that, but their answer was like, but all the serious buyers are going to have the Zillow app or the Redfin app on their phone. And that Mm -hmm. those apps are all going to lead them back to agents. It was their point. And I was like, okay, kind of true, but also like we can still reach those people. I, I don't know if it's because I'm in the industry, but the two times we bought new construction homes, I, I mean, especially on this time I was, I contacted the builder directly. That's how I found the home that we're in is by contacting the builder directly. It wasn't my realtor. I didn't even have a realtor yet at that point. Yeah. Well, you, you both have worked for builders. So I'll ask you this question and we yeah. can take out a news article. That seems to be what we do these days. Just take out news articles. So we can, <laughs> um, when you worked at your home building companies, when did you decide to put homes in the MLS or not? Was it standard practice that everything went in as soon as it started dig? Was there a certain phase? What was the impetus for getting um, added to the MLS? I think ours was drywall at the time because we didn't want it to just sit in there forever and then realtors mm-hmm. complain about days on market and all that. So yeah, drywall or, or show up to show someone uh, walk through a house and <clears throat> frame exactly. somebody. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We did it um, at one point. It was standard practice as soon as the MLS of that particular region would allow it. One wouldn't allow it until frame. Another one would take it at dirt. However, we stopped at one point altogether because it wasn't needed. And then it wasn't until Zillow implemented their change that we started listing again. And it was not without much complaining. (laughs) <laughs> and that, and that's what the interview with Rob Hahn was all about is if you're trying to make sure that your home show up on, on the primary search results of Zillow, you don't have to go through the process with your local MLS to make sure that the consumer can see you on Zillow. You can use Rob's tool for free mm-hmm. to syndicate directly from your website. The same feed basically that you're sending to Zillow can go through his MLS and back to Zillow to give Zillow the ability to put it on the front page, so to speak, of those search results. Yeah, I I think that's what I was trying to convey to them is I don't think most builders think to themselves, I need to be on the MLS because of the MLS. They're thinking I need to be on the MLS because of exposure on on syndication Mm -hmm. platforms and potentially I need to partner with a realtor because they Mm -hmm. are the number one realtor in this part of town and have their own network or incremental advertising. Like I remember back in 2004, one of our strategies when we had inventory at Miranda in Columbus uh, mm-hmm. Well, actually, no, it's not true. Where did I? Because we didn't partner with realtors uh, at Miranda when I was there at all, ever. Like we paid them nothing. Mm-hmm. But maybe it was in in 2007. Then when I got to to Pittsburgh, we were still advertising in the paper. We had our own half page or full color ad, and then the strategy was, well, let's give a listing to Coldwell Banker and a listing to Howard Hanna because then they're also going to run ads in the paper, and now yeah. our homes will be in their ads and our ad. And it's kind of that same way now, but in a digital world or in an open house world of, we don't have the staff to hold more open houses. So I think there's one of the reasons builders use agents is often uh, for their own network and the assumption that they're going to do their own advertising and or hold their own open houses, not just to get in Mm -hmm. the MLS. Yeah. At one point, Stylecraft, they have their own internal broker, so they could list all of their homes by themselves on the MLS. Um, and then as a, and that was even done at a last resort 
but you could you still couldn't sold. syndicate it from your website. They still had to have this other process, right, of adding in mm -hmm. content and yeah, correct pictures and mm -hmm. that's yeah. it was a nuisance. Um, yeah. And then as a like last last resort, say there was like a home that just couldn't sell, then yeah. it would be partner with a realtor and have them list it and see what they could do with mm -hmm. it on top of what the builder is also doing. And right. I so, used to have to use paint or Corel draw or something like that to cover up our driveway blocks because it had our logo on it. And we kept getting in trouble from the MLS for having branding Ugh. on our photos. So I, as a little marketing coordinator <laughs> in 2000 and zero something <laughs> would have to block out our logo. Fun wow. time. So many violations over so the many. silliest things. I know we would get in trouble. We'd get called in. <laughs> and then trying to contact them to get them to list a property that doesn't exist yet. Like and getting in contact. Oh gosh. There's just so, right. there's too many hoops to jump. So that, that, that was the other thing I described. I'm like, it's hard for builders to use the MLS. And these are people who are mm -hmm. responsible for how the MLS works in their area. And they're like, what do you mean? It's hard, hard. I was like, yes, it's, it's either really hard or really expensive or both. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was a good time and time consuming. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. All right. On to the news up first, uh, from mashable.com, uh, <laughs> right after we recorded last week's episode, uh, Google had their IO conference, which is like their developer conference and updates. And, um, you might've seen the meme of their CEO saying the word AI like 34 times <laughs> to make sure that their stock price went up, which it did. Um, but basically Google's full on attack of, all right, our first, our first demo of Bard was terrible. I, I forget if it either started fighting with them or just providing, I think it provided incorrect answers uh, in their like live stage demo of the tool. Now uh, they just said, for, forget it, we're, we're all in. And in fact, there's even some, if, you're, if you really wanna dig in deeper, um, there were two different divisions of Google that were working on AI and they have since combined the two together, which is uh, like a big deal for those two different cultures of people. One thinking like, we're going to use, I think it was Google fold and Google, I forget the other one, but one was like, we're going to use AI for, um, drug research and other things. And the other is like, we're going to make sure it can play chess and go really well. It's like you two mm -hmm. are now one department. There's a, there's a big huff about that, but, um, AI for everyone. It's the Oprah moment. Uh, so the one I'm least ready for, like it needs to have, uh, is Gmail will write emails for you. Yeah. Um, so it already suggests different things and small, like short responses to emails, but now you can use their help me write feature, which will just write your whole email for you and then allow you to personalize it. Um, I, I definitely need a, like a filter to just remove all of that or, or it should, Here's what I think should happen. I think Google should have it set up that uh, it's just different color text if a human actually wrote it. Because what I want to be able to do mm. is just go, like, at the end of the day, it's only the part that the human would choose to go back in and change that truly matters most mm -hmm. of the time. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I just. Yeah. Are the humans going to go back and read what the AI just wrote for them to make sure? Of what it says, because I think a lot of times they're not going to. I think we might. So I think it's going to have a lot of nonsense in it. Uh, yeah, I, I think like responsiveness will increase, but actual productive work will decrease. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't right. think it's going to help us communicate better. I think it's just going to make 
more nonsense into the world. Yeah, not until we each have our own AI system that we pay 20 or 50 bucks or 100 bucks a month for that defends us against all this stuff. Is, does it really? Anyway. No. Uh, next up, AI-powered immersive Google Maps. So now um, it'll take you into a digital created model with the exact route. You can see if you're driving mm -hmm. from one state to another, all the different, like visually uh, take the route. Uh, it's going to roll that feature out in 50 different cities by the end of the year. That uh, was Google on Shark Tank. What was that? That was on Shark Tank. Like oh. there was something on Shark Tank that like this person said that you could map out your like cross country oh, yeah. journey and it'll tell Actually, you where to go. What was the yes. name of it? Did, did Google uh, this is buy a good, it? <laughs> this is a good side um, thing. No, uh, there's a there's an app called Road Trippers. Um, I think I downloaded that app. They did not get funded from it. Was this was like three, four, three years Here ago? It, I found it. Oh, this one is okay. This one's slightly different. It's called Audio, mm. and it will tell you like on the map. It'll like record back like an audiobook almost stories of the area that you're visiting. Oh. And it'll provide you this journey. Like the thing you get at a museum you... that talks to you as you're going by a picture, but in this case, it's yeah. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I thought you were talking about. There's another app that I use sometimes. Um, we haven't done a, a car trip, road trip in a while, but road trippers, where you just tell it where you're going and and how long you have, and it'll mm -hmm. suggest things that would be an appropriate detour or use of time along the way based upon how many people are in your family, what their ages are, et cetera. It's kind of kind of a cool. Thing. Will it um, tell me in a month that I should stop at the Oakley's house on no. my road trip? Uh, well, <laughs> no, but you should. Because <laughs> no, no. Uh, last, time, last time she stopped over with her daughter, her daughter, I think, was expecting to swim in the pool and she didn't. So we got to make that happen. Um, next up from the article, a whole bunch of Google Photos features. Um, take Take things out of the picture with magic eraser and magic editor. That's great. But I think the, um, the integration of AI with all of the different, um, like Google Docs, Google Sheets, I think that's going to be the biggest use case. So, you, you know, you open up a Google Sheet and you're trying to, you, you don't like, for, sorry, Will and other, like, I think Will Duterstead is somewhat famous for an interview questions. He asked what your favorite function is in Excel. It's an irrelevant question in another couple of years uh, because you won't need to know any functions. You'll just tell it, what are you trying to, what are you trying to figure out here? And it'll do it all for you. Um, the big one is BARD being not in a beta. You don't have to pay for it. BARD is their search um, functionality, or not, not search functionality. It's, it's their version of ChatGPT, but being able to use it for search. And I gave each of you an assignment I will share my own first. Um, Julie's like, you what assignment? You gave me an assignment. I, I missed the assignment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no. And see, the, oh, Julie's the I'm one who would a, worry about that the I'm, most of anyone. I'm getting an F on this assignment. Most other people on our team would be like, whatever. But Julie's like, <laughs> so conscientious. No, my whole, yes, I have to ace every assignment. Yeah, well, okay. you got time. So I'm going to share mine. I just said I use it now. because <laughs> it's one of those things, again, where like, oh my gosh, Google's going to, change their whole approach to their business model and then how is Google going to make money? Is it still going to be a good stock or not? Um, mm -hmm. Is this going to completely disrupt search? So I just asked Bard, I'm looking for a new home in Dublin city schools from the 800s with four bedrooms. Sure. Here are some homes in Dublin city schools that are for sale in the 800s and have four bedrooms. 
first, it didn't catch the fact that I said new home. It just assumed that I meant mm -hmm. a new home for me. And then it just talks about like pull some random descriptions with, with asking prices, <laughs> um, but doesn't give addresses, doesn't give links. And then at the end it gives some, which it does this with everything. Like here are some additional tips for finding a home in Dublin city schools from the hundreds with four bedrooms, start your search early, be prepared to act quickly, be flexible with your location, consider buying a fixer upper. I asked it who built these homes and it said, ha ha, nice try. I can't answer that. Um, and then I said, okay, can you provide links to the homes you already found? And it said, no. So it's not, it, it's to me, it's just another example. And Beth's example is more useful than mine, but in terms mm -hmm. of using BARD as a replacement for how most consumers are looking for search, it's almost like more how you use YouTube for search to me. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not looking for a statement answer or a product. I'm looking for a process or a procedure. Mm -hmm. Like if, I'm sure if I asked Bard, um, how do I improve the chemical balance in my pool? It would tell me just like I might watch a YouTube video about that same topic. Yeah. I don't know. So I, it's, it's, it's again, it's a good alternative for chat GPT because it's connected to the internet. So that's the mm -hmm. awesome part is, uh, you have to have beta access or use plugins on chat GPT to access other data sets. BART is wide open to the web. So if it's accessible on the web, you can give it a URL. You can ask it for information. It will, it will get live data, which ChatGPT doesn't do out of the box. So there's some, there's some definite benefits to it, but I, I told, you, oh, you already did it. See, I told BARD that I didn't see an assignment for work. What should I tell my teammates? And, uh, it gave me about six bullet points about being proactive and, um, not making excuses. And then it wrote me an email to send to you guys. <laughs> oh, God, that's awesome. What's the subject line of the email? Uh, let's see if it gave me a subject line. Um, no, it didn't give me a subject line. It just says, hi team. I'm writing to let you know, I didn't see the assignment for the upcoming project. I'm not sure if I missed the email or if it wasn't posted in the usual place. And it goes on to say that I'm happy to do it. Um, Anyway, I just thought it was funny. funny. <laughs> Beth, what did you decide to do with it? It just coached you. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I had a little fun with it. Um, I asked it, what are the key takeaways from the below article that, that should be discussed on a podcast? And then I sent it the article about it. Um, and so it gave me a bunch of, you know, good key takeaways from the article, a little bit repetitive. And then it gave me questions to prompt on the podcast. So then I took those questions and I plugged it back in and I said, answer these questions. And so then it answered the questions. But again, I think the biggest takeaway of just is how incredibly repetitive it was. And then while I like the Google it button so yes. that you can then search to find more out, it didn't, the Google it actually had no substance to it. It was just Google AI. What is Google's AI called? is it free? And like, that was <laughs> the extent of the conversation we had. Yeah. So, um, I felt it was interesting because I feel like the key points takeaway is incredibly helpful in both. Right. No, I, I, chat. For, for Olivia, our, our producer and, and marketing manager at do you convert, this is a great way to help with outlines of articles for folks who are coming on the show in the future. I think I'm just saying, hey, summarize mm -hmm. this for use on a podcast. I think that's a great a great prompt. Have you all seen that? But like everyone's going viral with these, like, here's the best prompts for X. Yeah. Like, there's no secret. That's to that. the thing with AI. It's like, you're using 
AI's prompts wrong. Here's how you should do it. And then it's like this 30 tweet chain of like, yeah, how to do it. Right. I guess, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that people struggle with what do I type in to make it do something because everyone has someone in their family who's the best at search now. Mm-hmm. And I'm that person in my house. My wife's like, okay, mm-hmm. I've looked for an hour. I can't find it. And then I just, I know how to think like the search engine. And so I type it in. So I, I guess I, I shouldn't be surprised that that still is a thing for AI, but if AI is really good, should you need to memorize a bunch of prompts that are useful? Oh, um, so. did the chicken come before the egg? That's a loaded <laughs> question there. It's my favorite thing lately is using it um, to find synonyms for things instead of like the the Google thesaurus yes. or the different thesauruses, because you can keep, I don't, it just gives you more options that aren't exactly what would be mm-hmm. in a thesaurus. And then you can keep, um, so that's been one of my favorite ways to use it. So it's not writing for you, but it's a super helpful tool when you're writing something and finding better words yeah. for what you're looking for. Yeah. Like Kevin said, it should be part of the recipe, not the full yeah. recipe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was, um, the, also another argument happening uh, online about using AI for listing descriptions and whether that should be happening or not. And some people saying all listing descriptions are basically the same anyway. And then a whole bunch of other people being like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. This is your opportunity in words to be differentiated. And you're saying it's not worth my five minutes to make it. So like, do you really not value your customer who's paying you tens of thousands of dollars that much that you just want to plug it in? It's just interesting back and forth. Um, Next up, we have a brand new speaker announcement for the Online Sales and Marketing Summit. Uh, Mark Davidson from 1000 Watt. Uh, They are the premier branding company in uh, the real estate space on the the existing home. I mean, their specialty is working with um, brokers and and agents in that world, but they've also done work with home builders, uh, master plan communities and the rest. And Mark is the creative genius. He is the Carla of, of that organization. So he's going to come and do a branding workshop with the marketing half of the crowd. Don't worry, online salespeople, we're not going to ask you to participate in the branding workshop. But that's where we were. I just, I off the cuff, we were just talking for five minutes and I was, I said, you know, I just hit this hit me about the, the food thing. And he was like, oh my gosh, like I've actually opened up restaurants and uh, a couple times before and I'm a foodie and everywhere I go, he's like, you're exactly right. And in, in one of the things in branding is you're trying to find the ingredient that no one else can use. Mm-hmm. So he, his argument, you know, to me was when my builder in Pittsburgh was the official home builder of the Steelers, he's like, that's not even branding. Like Mm-mm. as soon as you choose to stop paying that money, any other builder can walk in and become the official home builder of the Steelers. You're buying awareness at a really expensive price. 300 grand a year, but that's not really your brand. He's like, you can argue that it's local, but it's not, it's, it's not differentiation at all. And, and this is just a little insight into how he thinks he's like, you know, branding really is discipline. It's, it's saying, Mm -hmm. I am not going to do these things. I'm going to exclude these behaviors. These are the colors. It's not picking the color you're going to use. It's all the colors you're not going to use. Yeah. And, um, they're on a recorded guest episode with Michelle uh, Sims writer who, who that might even be out before you hear this, but one of his arguments is that humans uh, are 
have a complete ability to change at any moment's notice. And so that's mm -hmm. why the idea of a personal brand, he's like, no, that's just called being a human. Like it is you. <laughs> if you create a quote unquote personal brand for yourself, it just narrows the definition of what you are. And then that drives people nuts. They're like, I feel like I'm a caricature of myself. He's like, yeah, because you're telling yourself all these things you can't do because it's your against your personal brand. And that's idiotic. It's like no companies yeah. on the other hand, they can choose not to do things and have a rule set. Um, but here's the other funny thing. He's, he's also a big research guy and he knows about home building. Um, but he's, he's, so he sent me an email. He's like, Hey, I've almost got this talk ready to go, but I just have a quick concern. Like how important is brand in your space? Because it seems like location and price and everything else. He's like, in, in my world, in general real estate, it's the thing. He goes in home building. It yeah. seems like it's like the second or third thing. It might be differentiation, but, and I was like, oh, well, you, you're coming at this from the same place I've come at, which is brand is awesome. As long as you offer a home in the school district, I want to live in at a price I can afford. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was, and, and so I, I said my thoughts, but he's going to have his own thoughts and it's going to be a great conversation. So if he has a Q and A, I already have questions for him because <laughs> yes, well, you I love, know what you can, you can lead that Q and A. I love oh, their, um, their e-newsletter that they send mm -hmm. out. And I'm so mm -hmm. curious about their process for right. Is that a one person creative endeavor or if it's multiple, how does it not no. suck all the voice out of it? So I have lots of questions about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They have a great, great newsletter. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm excited for that because I think like branding is important, but I think like Mark, marketers where they oftentimes are failing is that they don't understand their own brand or who their brand voice is. And they don't know how to relay that to their customer. And it's really interesting because like as marketers, we should be protective of we're the ones protecting that brand. We're the ones that should be telling sales, no, don't do that. Or yeah. don't use, don't build a flyer on your own. Like, let me do that or send things through me because we need to protect it. Here, here's the thing where then I think a lot of people are missing. And again, a lot of stuff that I ended up doing was dumb luck uh, to an extent. But after the first two or three years that I was at Heartland, they said, hey, Kevin, every time we hire a new employee in any department, we need you to give the, all these new hires whenever they come in a 15 to 30 mm -hmm. minute talk and collateral material to explain what our brand is and why that's important. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times marketing is doing that work, Beth. But then mm -hmm. we hire three people and just expect them to know it. And, and what they probably only know is what they've interfaced at the front lines. They don't mm -hmm. understand all of the work and psychology and, and the, what's gone into it to get to what you see on the front lines. You know, they, mm -hmm. they, Hey, like Simon said, start with why. Yeah. But it's also yeah. a challenge for companies because I worked at Idaho Homes and they were amazing and people never left. So it's hard for very tenured people too, because the brand needs to evolve and change. Uh, and it still yeah. is what it was 10, 20 years ago to certain people. So that's hard too, is pulling them along. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, it's, I think to it. like, it's not just that one conversation, right? It's not just that one 15 minute conversation when they, when they're onboarding, it's a continued conversation that marketers um, should be responsible for within their right. organization of being like, no guys, remember we can't do that. And this is why. 
And like, we can't say those things and this is why, and you can't just go make your own flyer. And this is why, you know? Yeah. And back to food, there's, there's this very famous example, um, of there's a celebrity chef restaurateur here in Columbus, Cameron Mitchell. And, um, he's famous. They have, they use the symbol of a milkshake because he went to a fancy restaurant with his son asked him if they could make him a milkshake for dessert. They said, no, we can't. He's like, I don't understand. You've got milk back there. Yes. You've got ice cream. Yes. Can you put those two things in a blender? Yes. Okay. Can you make me a milkshake? Yeah, I guess we can. Uh, and so that was his symbol of like, listen to the customer, do the right thing. Mm-hmm. But he's at a particular restaurant where their brand is premier experience and customization and personalization. Mm-hmm. Then my son is my, my 10 year old son is watching a, an animated video on YouTube of some guy is like his first job was at five guys, burgers and fries. And mm-hmm. his worst customer experience was a lady walking up and saying, can you make me cheese fries? And he said, uh, let me check, asked his manager and the manager said, no. And he was like, sorry, ma'am, I can't make you cheese fries. And she's like, but you've got cheese and you've got fries and you can just put it in a cup and make me cheese fries. And he's like, we, that's not like. I don't think in that sense, it's wrong for five guys to say no, because that's not what they're, they're like, you're paying, well, in their case, way too much for a hamburger still, <laughs> but you're not paying the same amount you would pay for a steak at Roos Chris or Morton's or wherever. Mm-hmm. So like the answer can be different and be okay, depending on the brand. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, people have difficulty understanding why the answer is no sometimes, but, you know, going back to the the recipe analogy, if you put sugar instead of salt or salt instead of sugar, it ruins the whole recipe. So -hmm. sometimes you need, you need to follow it to a T and then the same thing of like, do we customize our homes? No, we don't. You can't move that door. You can't flip it the other direction. Yeah. You can't use that color. You can't say that phrase Mm -hmm. for the same reason why we don't move the door. Yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, one more article than favorites. Let's see, which one do we want to, uh, let's, let's do this one. So I'll just read the headline and we'll leave the link in the show notes, uh, from builderonline.com builder confidence climbs due to lack of existing inventory, despite supply chain disruptions, continuing tightening credit conditions for loans, builder confidence still rises in May, according to the NHB, because no one's selling their existing house filed it under we're all experiencing that builders are thankful. We add mm-hmm. that to our prayers every night. Please let all of the people stay in their homes and not list it for sale. Uh, but from futurism.com, a newspaper apologizes for accidentally running a deranged AI generated article from a fake AI generated journalist. <laughs> yeah. The first of thousands like this yet mm-hmm. to come. And, yeah. and this mm-hmm. already, by the way, happened, has happened over the years with scientific journals. Um, there is mm-hmm. one uh, that made it, it was published in uh, uh, several scientific journals. It was talking about how um, dogs were um, being overly aggressive on playgrounds. And it was a theory that certain dogs had too much um, maleness in them, right, as a cause. It was, it was just like a to- totally made up. So it, it happens. Um, Mm -hmm. it's not again that we can just blame AI for, for everything, but this particular article was about Irish women's obsession with fake tan products is problematic. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> there was a person behind this AI too that generated this article and generated this fake journalist based off of um, stereotypes, which I think is why everyone was enraged. But when I before I knew about the article context itself and the fake journalist and knew about that, when I first saw it, I kind of giggled a little bit because it reminded me of there's a um, military blog, if you will, called like the duffel blog. And it's all these fake articles that people have generated over the years that are like teeter on like could be true, but aren't and more of are more of like a satire for the military mm -hmm. life. And it's incredibly entertaining, but everyone knows it's fake. Like if you go to here, you know, it's fake. Um, and it's, this was fake, but, but wanna, not If you want to have fun to your point, Beth, just mm -hmm. send any grandparent in your life a link straight to an onion article. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, and watch and the watch onion. their response as they mm -hmm. read it. Yeah, but Julie, how does this happen? Is this is this not that you've worked in magazine publications? But I, my theory is that everyone has a deadline, and they're so hungry for content to post that. And this is also, by the way, opportunity for builders. If you understand this, if you package content and provide it to media outlets and make it easy, yes, like. I, I worked for a small town newspaper and that's definitely oh, you did. the case. Well. Yes, I did. I worked for the Elk City Inn in Elk City, Oklahoma. Uh, nice. We lived above the barbershop. It was next door. I walked through the barbershop and into the Elk City Inn and interviewed, you know, like the superintendent of the high school and that kind of thing. Um, so yes, it was like a 21 year old like me running around town trying to find enough stories to fill it up while they sold ads. So yes, that's a lot of it. Also, this was an opinion piece, so I'm sure they just like read it real fast and sent mm -hmm. it off into the abyss. It wasn't somebody that they thought was on staff or something. It was a fake person doing, sending in for an opinion piece, and they probably didn't have one then. But yeah, and the only reason on this particular article they figured out it was fake is because the person then went to Twitter to start yeah. telling. So how many of these things are out here? A lot. That we don't even yeah. know. It's like the trolls just have more tools to troll into the real world and not just keep it, you yeah. know, well, that's, mm -hmm. this is, this, it's, it's why I'm a little jaded because I've, I've been in the speaker ready room at the builder show before where people are putting together a session they're about to deliver in 10 minutes. And I've yep. heard statements like, I don't know, just put in a stat. And you're like, you can't, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. But again, who, how do you verify the stat? You just take a picture, you assume it's true, you add it down to your notes and then, whew. So I think, I think the, the win on the, all of this is that hopefully it makes you be a little bit more uh, in, in a healthy way, skeptical of everything that you're reading and consuming because you, mm -hmm. to your point, you, you should have been all along. Yep. Facts. Yeah. All right, favorites. Uh, we'll go in op. But Beth, you want to start on favorites? The Orioles, um, the Baltimore Orioles. We so like I grew mm -hmm. up going to Camden Yards, classic, one of the best baseball stadiums in the country, obviously. Um, all the time when I was little, because my dad worked for Baltimore City, so we would just get tickets sometimes, and I loved it. It was like one of my favorite things to do when I was little, and I went sporadically throughout college and things like that on like five dollar Fridays and and whatnot, but we've obviously lived away from Maryland for a long time. Um, minus the one year that we were just there, but we, my husband has gotten super into 
baseball this year, like freakishly into baseball. And it's like his it's delayed gotten... pandemic obsession. <laughs> yeah, basically. And we all have just, it's consumed all of us. Like we watch every game. We have so much fun. Cullen asks all the time, is Adley playing today? Like you know he loves Adley. what the best Adley. thing about baseball is? What? The food? You can, you can take a nap and wake up and still see the end. <laughs> so see, I didn't know this, but did you know it got better? No. They, Don't they have they a clock or a something? Pitch, a pitch clock? Yeah. yeah they have yeah. a pitch clock. So the game moves okay. at a faster pace now. So, and the Orioles are super entertaining. They implemented this whole thing where if you get a, a double, then you, you put, they do the sprinklers. Is that the weird then, guy with the green guy? The, who is that Orioles no, mascot? Oh, no, that's the Phillies. Oh, the Philly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Either. I don't know anything don't about know. baseball. My kids just, the, my the boys Orioles. just discovered baseball existed last week. I kid you not. The last <laughs> eighth grade baseball game of the year. Uh, my, some of my daughter's friends at school were playing. And so I dragged my youngest to it. He didn't want to go. And then mm -hmm. ever since he's been back, he and his brother are playing baseball out in the yard because it's cool now, but they, they, they know nothing about the sport. That's funny. I think it's yeah, the Phillies yeah. at least. I'm like, I'm going back and I'm like, someone's going to fact check me in the comments and be like, it's not the Phillies. I think I you're right. Was, but I think you're right. It sounds right. Yeah. I don't know. But we're, we're when we lived in Orioles, Pittsburgh. We but... used to go to the games all the time. My girls know about, about baseball. It's fun. 10 out of 10 recommend. Watch the Orioles though, because they're entertaining. Is the season almost done? I know. I mean, oh, no. Is the season just starting? <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, pretty much. It starts in April, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And so we're only. Yeah, like I always remember in. as a kid, the season was always ending or beginning when school started and ended. It was like. It's of, really long. There's a lot of games, but it's still like, it's really fun. And there's nothing. So we took the kids to the Royals game that when the Orioles were in town, and the kids had so much fun. So, I mean, I don't know. It's a nice little activity to do with your kids in the summer. This Recommend. is why we're Mike bringing Lyon, America's pastime back. This is why Mike Amen. Lyon rolls his eyes so much when we're doing like fantasy football and all the marketing people are like, wait, what? How? Sports? <laughs> do the they kick side, it or throw it? The sales side kind of has this beat in that, in that side. Sorry, guys. We're yeah. not representing well. Is um, that, is that what happens? Marketers ha uh, come from the people who aren't like super into sports as kids? Um, not me. Could be. Take me out of that equation, but perhaps. You were, you were sporty as a kid? I, okay. I was not sporty. There is no athletic prowess here present. No, me neither. But my family was athletic and we like watched sports growing up. And then like, I don't, I get into it. I have like seasons of sports, like and there's certain teams that I just love no matter what, like the Orioles and the Capitals. I remember sitting around a, ta a conference table in Texas telling everyone the Caps just won the Stanley Cup. And they all looked at me like, what is the Stanley Cup? And I was like, oh, okay. Wrong audience. Never mind. <laughs> all right, Julie. So, what do you um, got? So this is a shout out to Andrew, the ad doctor, because he knows I love jujitsu and I talk about it all the time. And now he has another person at his gym or something who does jujitsu. So now Instagram is showing him jujitsu, um, you know, accounts. And so just today before the podcast, he sent me Paul Hunter seven or Wrigley, the bulldog D a W G. And basically it's this man who puts a jujitsu gi jacket and That's a belt hilarious. on his dog and shows people yeah. jujitsu moves with their dog. So I know you all probably will not appreciate this as much as me, but I will. 
say shout out to Andrew for keeping me in mind and sending me these things when you come across them because it made my day. <laughs> That's amazing. I love people. I love people that like that come up with this stuff. Like yeah, and so the beautiful. dog has um how many has well the guy has thirty four thousand Instagram followers now and the dog has eleven thousand Instagram followers. Ooh. So you know it's making the rounds. <laughs> And it's a dog, not many dogs. No, just one so dog. Just to, I know. Just, just I'm just closing yeah. the loop from your yeah. first piece. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> that's right. Uh, my favorite is I think Google's approach to GA4's rollout. Hear me out. There's a lot of things that are wrong and bad and shady about what's happening, but man, can they get people's attention? Right. <laughs> you just put in a or heart rate clock. up. Like, I think, I think if you're not as a marketer learning about how to do change with your sales team, when you roll out something, you need a doomsday clock. That's it. If, if the world's going to end in, hold on, I'll pull up Google, Google again here. Uh, and it'll tell me the live countdown. Ta -da -da. 43 days, 10 hours, 13 minutes and 44. Four seconds. Yeah, it's intense. until the world ends. <laughs> if you don't know how to get people's attention. Just check out what Google's doing with GA4. You spam people with new phone calls every hour, and you put in a doomsday clock. Yeah, it's working. <laughs> people yeah. are panicking. All right, that'll do it for this week. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Market Proof Marketing. Can't wait for the next one or looking to connect with other new home marketers? Become a member of our private community, DYC All Access, which is 100% free and always will be. Get exclusive content not shared anywhere else, access to private events, and the ability to join a marketing impact group with other marketers like you around the country. Visit our link in the show notes or members.doyouconvert.com to join. All opinions expressed by me, Andrew Peake, Jackie Lipinski, and our castmates are solely our own opinions. Now get to work and make sure your company is market-proof.